We back. We are back in your eyes and ears. Episode 22. That sounds right. I always forget to check and I look like an idiot. Um, <laughs> episode 22 of the Bentley Show. I am, of course, your host, Scout Bentley. Uh, pretty eventful last couple of days. The Tigers. The Tigers, baby. Uh, on, I was talking to uh, to a buddy of mine, um, what, yesterday, I guess? It, I guess it would have been after the game yesterday. Um, and after the game on Tuesday, I should say. And uh, he asked me, this is the most fun two-day stretch in Tigers whatever since blank. So we're going to get into that. Uh, and then we'll just go over the series as a whole up to this point. Who's showing out, who's not. Not very many people on that list. Uh, then we'll go into the Stones. Talk about the Clippers game that just happened. Uh, the current Tankathon standings. Uh, and then I've had some interesting conversation, conversations with some people about Seku Dumboya. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into him because we kind of touched on him last, uh, whatever, Monday. Um, but we're going to go a little more in-depth about maybe his future on the team. Um, then the Wings, we have a trade deadline to discuss. A big trade that was made, some trades that weren't made. So we'll talk about that. As always, check out Locked On Red Wings uh, if you don't already. And then the Detroit Lions, we have a uh, more trades are coming out about things that were offered for Stafford. And we have a Broncos trade that we can all just sit back and have a good chuckle at. Um, and then we have a new Kuiper mock as well that involves us passing on a certain quarterback uh, and taking a wide receiver instead. So we're going to cover all of that and more. Actually, I have an itinerary I follow, so not more, actually. Um, But yeah, (laughs) anyway, talk, stupid. Okay, Bentley Show. I'm Scott Bentley. We're back. Let's get right into it. The Detroit Tigers are 5-6 now on the year. Last time we spoke, they were 3-6. And and they have taken two games away from one of the better teams in baseball. This Houston Astros team, I know, you know, they've lost, they lost some people. They lost Springer. Um, and they're not as loaded as they were in, in 2017 through 19. Uh, that was in my hair. That being said, this is still a damn good team. A damn good team. Uh, and this is still... A very good, specifically a very good offense. Uh, the pitching staff, Verlander now hurt. Um, you know, losing people over the last couple of years. Uh, Keuchel, etc. Um, pitching staff is definitely not what it was during the glory days of the team. However, this offense is still incredibly talented. The people that they've lost, they've been able to replace with Brantley, Kyle Tucker, um, who we almost got in a trade, by the way. We almost got in the Verlander trade, actually. Um, that was very close to being a done deal by most reports. Uh, and then the Astros said, no, nah, we're not giving up Kyle Tucker uh, for JV. And, and we got what we got, which has been a massive disappointment up to this point. But anyway, um, so 
this team, based on what I'm trying to say, not some slouches. This team is still incredibly talented. Um, the Detroit Tigers are not incredibly talented. This team still has a very long way to go until it's competitive again. This These last two games have have been, like I talked about in the intro, probably the most enjoyable or exciting two-game stretch since 2017? Is that ridiculous for me to say? Uh, I don't think there was any last year that was nearly as exciting. Uh, There sure as heck was not a two-game stretch in 2019 that was even remotely this exciting. Uh... 2018, I, again, I, I think 2018 was kind of the beginning of the end for a lot of, uh, you know, started slowly selling people off, stopped making big signings. I think 2018 was very exciting. Uh, except for maybe... No, no, that's not even right. Yeah, Like, I, I mean, 2017, like, either A... Right before the trade deadline when we thought Verlander was getting traded and we wanted him to win his final game at Comerica that Sunday, uh, I went to that game. Like, maybe that. The only other thing I can think of is later that year when we were playing for the number one overall pick and on the last game of the season, the Giants hit a walk-off or whatever uh, and landed us Casey Mize. I, I don't know. It's been years since we've had this fun of a stretch and why why is this why is this stretch we're going on right now this enjoyable um well i would say for a, a plethora of reasons a plethora um first off is hinch's former team that has to be thrown out there that's obviously a big one and i think a lot of for me personally, a lot of it has to do with I want him to be okay in our dugout and not miss being in theirs. And that's hard because the Astros are still good and and we are not. But like I just want I want to have a little vindication. Just a little bit of like, you know what, man? I know that you didn't leave by choice. And if it was up to you, especially at the time of you leaving, that you'd probably still be there. That being said, I just want, and again, this is like, I said this in my post game video, this might be like fortune cookie wisdom. It might not be actually anywhere close to reality and, and whatever. I just want a little bit of vindication for him. I just want a little bit of like, you know what? My time here was great. It, it came and gone. I am I'm very content with the Detroit Tigers. And again, that that might be just hopeless romanticness, but but man, so, I just want I just want to win this series so bad. And we did won the series. No matter what happens today, uh, no matter what happens on Wednesday, doesn't matter. Won the series. Couldn't be happier. We'll start with the first game of the series, which was probably the most exciting game since the the Verlander start before the trade deadline, when we all thought he was getting moved. Uh, I mean, 
Because then he got traded, but it was kind of like blindsided. We didn't really know because uh, it was post-trade deadline, clear through waivers and all that. Um, so I think, I think it was probably the most exciting single game since the Verlander's last start before the deadline. Honestly. That was four years ago, by the way. And that might be the most exciting game I've, I've, or most excited I've been watching a game since then. Four years. Literally four years. Um, the, I mean, the only thing I could think of that directly rivals it would be like Mize's first career start. That was electric, obviously. Uh, Scooble, you know, first start, that thing. Um, I don't know, man. Regardless, one of the, one of the most exciting moments of the last four years, easily, if it's not at the top, it's right behind the top. Uh, Mize was unbelievable. He was unreal. There's no other way to put it. It, it. The dude was absolutely shoved for seven innings. Uh, seven innings, five Ks, couple of hits, um, and, and shutout ball. No runs. He, he looked unbelievable. And, and I think what made, it, what made him so good was that he finally... Stop trying to get everyone to swing and miss out of the zone and stop trying to nibble everything. And I've been talking about this for months now. He finally was like, you know what? I'm a bad MFer. I'm that dude. I went 1-1. I got some dog in me and showed out and and did what, what we saw. Unbelievable. First seven inning shutout by a rookie, I think they said since Fulmer. In 2016. Unbelievable, man. And what made him great? Well, first off, Chris Fetter is very good at his job. I had a conversation with a couple people that pointed out to me how uh, how incredible, how important, I guess, he is. Um, to this team. He's unbelievably important and unbelievably good at his job. Casey Mize said in the post-game interview, he was like, you know what? My fastball command was bad in the first inning. Fetter pulled me and Griner aside, said have more intent in your warm-up pitches, and then made some mechanical adjustments for him. For the rest of the game, Mize was damn near unhittable. Chris Fetter is really good at his job. Way better than Rick Anderson ever could have even dreamed of being. And we've talked enough about Rick Anderson. That era's done. Whatever. Don't really care. Wish him all the best. But Chris Fetter's here now, and I could not be happier. So we have that. Um, we'll get to Griner after we talk about Mize. Um, he... The pitch mix was phenomenal as well. He was mixing his pitch as well. The, he, he wasn't using the fastball to get ahead in counts. He was using the fastball. He was using the, the more of the off-speed stuff, the splitter. He threw a ton of the splitter, which is great. He was throwing the cutter a lot, which looks awesome. He was using his secondary pitches to set up the fastball. And really his whole career, we've kind of seen the opposite. 
We've tried to see him sneak fastballs past people and just be like, okay, I'm just going to get in the head account with some heat, whatever, and then I'll use the secondary pitches to strike him out, and he, he gets well behind on people. He was using the secondary stuff, and then when he was ahead in the count, then going back to the heat when they were expecting him to stay with the secondary, all of it was beautiful. His pitch mix was phenomenal. Um, and and like I said, I think the biggest thing was him just not being afraid of soft contact. There's There was one situation, I want to say it was in the fifth inning, where he was, uh, there was a man on first and third with one out, threw the splitter, low in the zone for a strike, got weak contact, ground into a double play, kept the shutout, got out of the inning. Incredible. He also, for the first time ever, had two two or three maybe even really quick innings. This start did not start off well. His first two innings were not great until Fetter pulled him aside and he went out there and made those adjustments. It, truly, this, this start was not looking to be very promising. This was like another like, okay, like another kind of start for Mize. This one was, was, was a turnaround. And of epic proportions. And that makes it even more special. And honestly, the fact that he was able to make those adjustments mid-game and, and have the end result that he did made him even made truly made him even better than he was. Better than he was. That doesn't make sense. Made the win even more impressive to me. Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. And and also I have to give credit where credit is due. Grayson Griner looked great behind the plate. And I, I tweeted that out. And I had some people uh, talk to me and and were like, hey, uh, I don't know. Like, is this like a cry for help? Like, are you like kidnapped? <laughs> and uh, it was just super funny to me because... I've just, apparently I've just slandered him so much that, uh, that when I actually complimented him, people were confused. Uh, so I think that, um, a lot of people, I, I just think it's funny. I, I just thought it was a funny moment. Whatever. Uh, move on. Stop, stop stalling. Griner was phenomenal behind the plate. And I think that's cool. Like, I don't want to downplay it. It's super cool. And and I think that he will... Wilson Ramos is not good defensively. We will get to him, I'm sure, in a second. Look, man, I I really... I, I don't... Like, I, I don't care that he's leading the league in homers and, like, hitting so well. Maybe don't care is a little harsh, but like him leading the league in homers 10 games into the season is not me going like, oh my gosh, I was so wrong about this signing. I'm so glad we have Wilson Ramos and I absolutely did still, or I'm changing my mind and I no longer wanted a defensive catcher. That's just, you're not going to hear those words out of me. That's just not how this is going to work. It's awesome. It's been a huge plus in the lineup. It's great. And, and it's it's justifying the signing for the front office because they knew that they were choosing a bat over a glove. That's all great. But, like, uh, it's not going to make me change my opinion on it. Back to the original point, he is not a good defensive catcher. 
not a good framer, not just not good behind the dish really. And Griner called a great game for Mize. And on top of that, he received a great game. The the framing was solid. It wasn't elite by any means. It, you know, he wasn't Jose Molina back there, but it was really solid, especially on inside and outside pitches, east to west. His framing was actually really good. Now, Angel Hernandez was behind the plate. I'm not going to pretend like that wasn't a thing. But the east to west framing was really good. Still kind of left the glove dip, needs some work to do for, for framing down low. Regardless, looked really solid behind the plate. And then, of course, went like two for three or two for four or whatever with a home run. Uh, and, and a couple of RBIs that, you know, it, it, uh, probably the best game of Grayson Griner's career. Pro- I mean, in, all, in, in reality, that's probably the best game of Grayson Griner's major league career. I, I don't think it's, it's, there's really close, to be honest with you. Um, so that's awesome. So happy for everybody involved. And if Griner can establish himself as that, as a solid defensive game caller behind the plate, he will be, I don't think anyone's ever going to look at him and be like, oh my gosh, like he's really good and belongs on a major league roster. But people will will warm up to him being behind the dish. People will be like, oh, okay, like Scooble or Mize day today, which, you know, I really hope today we have a good day today because of that. And and I really hope that Griner is behind the plate and not Ramos. At least we, he will have some role and people will have some relief when he's actually in the lineup on certain days, which is, I think, different than what a lot of people can say about his career up to this point. Uh, Badu continues to be Badu. Love him to death, man. Love him to death. He's so humble, too, is his, his post-games and whatever. So sick. Like, he, he's just such a cool kid. He homered again. Homer again, he now has the most home runs through the first eight games of a career. Uh, that Does that make sense? Most home runs through your first eight career games in Tigers history uh, with four homers in his first eight games. A Tigers record, and I think he's like one of 25 people in the history of baseball to do, accomplish that. Um, so... A phenomenal story. He has the highest slugging percentage through eight career games in the history of the American League. It's like it's like 1050. Not an OPS, 1050 slugging percentage. Unbelievable. Um, truly. What, what a great story. He's actually looked pretty good defensively too. Uh, I think he, he's measured out to be a, a plus defender in left. Uh, and an average defender in center. Um, so we'll see. He's actually looked pretty solid there, which would... Again, we're carrying five outfielders. So, like, if one of these dudes hit as, like, a long-term option, I'll be happy. Uh, Reyes is not. Grossman. I love Robbie Grossman. I love the signing, but he's a little too old to be considered, like, a long-term, you know, solution out there. Jacoby Jones is 30 and hasn't really gotten that much playing time this year. Um... I don't know. I, I think his days are kind of getting numbered. Uh, we have Badu. And then who's the last one? Reyes, Jones, Badu, Grossman. Uh, 
someone's yelling at me through their phone right now for the correct answer. Um, bro. Oh, Nomar Mazzara. Jeez. Um, Nomar may or may not be a long-term. We'll see. He's played a lot of DH this year because we have so many outfielders on the roster. Um, but we'll see. Uh, he's already doubled his home run total from last year. So that's awesome. Um, last thing, uh, we'll preview tonight's matchup a little bit. Wednesday night's matchup a little bit. Uh, it's, it's Fulmer. So kind of scary. Uh, that being said, uh, kind of exciting. I mean, like I'm, I'm terrified to be honest with you. Um, but I look, I don't believe Michael Fulmer can be a starter anymore. I, I don't. Sadly, I don't. I think that um, he's been solid in the bullpen this year. Looks good. Um, I'm terrified. I'm terrified. I'll, I'll, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm absolutely horrified. I, I don't know if Michael Fulmer is a starter anymore. Uh I don't think Michael Fulmer is a starter anymore. But Tehran's on the 60-day IL. Um, <laughs> for those watching on YouTube, you're just seeing me with, like, the fear of God in my face. I, I, I think I, I haven't seen anything that leads me to believe that he can be a starter at this level anymore, which is sad, and I would love to be wrong. I'd love to be wrong. Anytime I, I, I um, am, am against someone or something, I would love to be wrong because I love this team and I, I, I would much rather they be right. They win games and I'd be wrong than vice versa. But I don't know, man. I think he's going up against McCullers. Uh, definitely doesn't look great on paper. Um, that being said, the last two games have been electric. We've destroyed them. Let's see what happens, right? Why not us? Why not us? Uh, is there anything else that I wanted to talk about with the Tigers? I don't think so. Okay, the Detroit Basketball Pistons. Um, third worst record in the NBA. I love all these people that are like, are they winning too much? I feel like they're winning too many games. Like, what are you talking about, bro? They, they've won, they've, the games they've won have been against good teams, so I understand how it can kind of get confusing sometimes of like, oh my gosh, are we actually good? We have the third worst record in the NBA, and it's a two-game difference from the worst record in the NBA. I promise. For real. I promise we are not winning too many games, uh, especially with the fact that it's a lottery system. Uh, I, I promise. I promise, promise, promise we're not winning too many games. Uh, so, we have that. Third worst record. Always good. Um, going for another another top three pick this year would be absolutely incredible for the future of this team. Um, we already have kind of our core, our core rookies and our core um, uh, core Seku. <laughs> core rookies plus Seku. Um, not a rookie, but 
one of the youngest guys on the team and the longest tenured piston on the team. The Seku stats are wild. Um, so I think that um, I, I think that it's it's important to know. No, we are not winning too many games. We have the third worst record in basketball. I promise we're good. Uh, especially because the team with the worst record hasn't won the lottery that often. Yeah, like, like it's ha- like the Cavs have have their luck, but if you really remove the Cavaliers, it's really not that common of practice. Uh, so I'm I feel pretty good about us at the at the three spot. To be honest, I'd I'd be I'm pretty confident in that. Um, and honestly, I would. I think I might go as far to say I'd be okay with any of the projected top three picks being Pistons. I, I don't need, uh, like I, I don't need certain players over certain players. Something like I don't I don't need Mobley over Cade. I don't need Cade over Mobley. I don't need you know what I mean. Like any of those guys in the top three, um, I'd I'd be pretty content with. So as long as we land somewhere in the top three for this draft, there's not like a decisive like this guy is one one guaranteed. I'd be pretty happy with any of those guys. So um, yeah, I I just think it's important that we that we know uh, and that we are very very uh, very aware that no we are not winning too many games. Okay, too much time on this already. Seku Dumboya. Oh, do we want to do the Clippers recap? We can do the Clippers recap. So we played the Clippers uh, last night. No, like a minute ago, honestly. Like Monday or Sunday maybe even. A few days ago. We're about to play him again tonight, Wednesday, April 14th. Um, and we played a competitive game and dropped it at the end, which is perfect. That's fine with me. We have one of the worst crunch time records like in the last several years, uh, which is like, I want to say the stat is like within a five point game with two minutes to go or something like that. Uh, and what, what your record is in those games and, and ours is absolutely abysmal, um, which is fine because that shows that we are, we are making strides and we are playing competitive basketball. We just can't finish games yet because we're young. So I'm totally cool with it. Totally cool with it, for real. Um, again, the tank rolls on, third worst record in the NBA. The game itself was uh, pretty, I don't want to say like too, uh, it was pretty on brand. I'll, I'll say it. It was pretty on brand. Um, Kojo is is stepping up. I still don't think he's a long-term solution to the team. He's too old. Um, which is wild that in sports you can say that about a 29-year-old, but like you get the point. Uh, he's he's I, I just like future plans for this team. I, I don't know. I don't really expect Corey Joseph to be like part of that. Um, but he has a year left on his deal. Maybe we can flip him for something this offseason or even next trade deadline. I'd be totally cool with that. Sadiq Bay continues to be Bay. That's probably been done before. I definitely just didn't like to think of that. BAE, right? There's no way that hasn't been done already like a million times. Um, anyway, he was phenomenal. 25 points, 8 of 12 shooting, 5 of 8 from 3, 4 of 4 from the line. Solid defensively. He had four steals. Dude's unreal. 
he, he's easily the steal of the draft up to this point. And I, I think only as time goes on, people are going to more and more regret not drafting him. He is unbelievable. And I am so happy that he is a Piston. So happy. Uh, Plumley, fine. I, you know, solid Mason Plumley game, 12, 5, and 3. Um, I'm really hoping that with Isaiah Stewart's kind of growth, that Plumley. Um, I I hope Plumley plays well so we can kind of maybe grab some trade interest from people that we can flip him and then Isaiah Stewart can can get the starting spot. Uh, Regardless, though, uh, Stewart's still getting like 20 a game off the pine. So, like, it's not a huge deal for me at this point. Uh, But, I don't know, halfway through next year, maybe I I would want to see the switch. Um, I don't know. The next season is a whole different entity. We had to see who we draft and everything. But, uh, yeah, Plumley. Been solid, been worth the money, even though people, again, I say this like every episode, I feel like people look at overall money and not yearly money. The overall amount you're getting does not matter. It is the AAV, it is the per year salary that matters. So, uh, like, I I don't know what to tell you. He's been been worth the money. He's been worth his AAV. Uh, Wayne Ellington, I still have no clue why this man is on this team. Why he wasn't traded at the deadline, why he wasn't bought out after the deadline. I don't know why he's still a Piston. I can't answer that. Uh, I would have traded him at the deadline for, for like a bag of fried pickles if that was the best offer on the table. I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. It confuses me still to this day. I don't understand. Uh, maybe I'll never understand. I don't know, man. Uh, regardless... He was fine, I guess, 15 points. Frank Jackson has been a nice little resurgence story uh, as pretty much every point guard that's played here this year, except for Derrick Rose, maybe. Um, Seems like every point guard we bring in, like, balls out and takes huge steps forward, which is awesome. That's sweet. You know, you'll love to see it. Uh, And hopefully we can raise the value of these people and, and... do something with them. But yeah, cool story in Frank Jackson. Isaiah Stewart, solid. Diallo, rough game. As a whole, though, still love the trade. Absolutely love the trade. I don't know if I, uh, if that, oh no, I definitely talked about that trade. I think I did it. It was like one of my last episodes before I went on my little break there. Uh, Super, super happy with that trade. Um, And he's played great. He didn't play great this game, obviously, but he's looked great. Um, and I think that he has a pretty high ceiling. Saban Lee, solid game, 4-2-6. and six. Love to see it. Uh, yeah, man, just like a solid all-around game from everybody. Um, I miss Killian. I, they, the game is so much more fun to watch when Killian Hayes plays. And it's partly just because he's our, you know, like top first-round pick. You know, he was our, he was our, our guy. Um which is automatically is going to make it more exciting. That being said, it's also because of how good of a facilitator he is for real. Like he is such a good facilitator and such a good passer that I just love watching him work, man. Like that's my favorite kind of player, honestly. Like I love, I'm, I'm like weird. (laughs) Like people, people, uh, like my friends have been giving me crap for it for a while. Like uh, on the offensive end, my favorite thing is passing. I don't like, like, okay, obviously I like scoring, but like, 
I'll take a flashy pass or like a great pass to an open guy in a corner that like de- dekes out a defense or like eyes in the back of his head kind of a moment over like a poster dunk every day of the week. I, I love passing. My favorite basketball player of all time is Jason Williams. Like I, I, I love, love passing. And I love just the idea of like an Isaiah Thomas, Pistons Isaiah Thomas quote, of uh, in the 30 for 30 about the bad boys where he said like when you have the ball you have the entire defense on a string you control the movement of nine other players on the court I love that I love that mindset I love watching it come to fruition I love seeing what people do um, in in certain situations to try to create an open man I love setting people up I love like when you're a point guard and you 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 read the defense and do something to, so that someone else becomes open and not you. Like, I, I love a good shot creator, don't get me wrong. Like, that's that's fun and all. But I love the idea of being so good at that, that you can do that for someone that doesn't even have the basketball. You can do something with the rock that makes someone else on the court open. That is, that is mind-boggling to me, and it, it's always been one of my favorite parts of basketball. So I get so much more enjoyment out of Pistons games when Killian Hayes is on the court. And I think he is such a good facilitator, man. He is such a good floor general. If he can just get the scoring to be above average, he is going to be such a valuable player to this team for so long just because of how good of a passer he is, for real. Oh, I love that, man. I absolutely... Love that, man. Um, so can't wait for him to come back, obviously, as you can tell. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I just love him to death. Um, anything else on the stones? Oh, Seiku. We want to talk about Seiku a little bit. Not not a ton. I, didn't, I don't want to drag this out to be like a super long thing. But I just want to know people's opinions of like how, I don't know. Like what? What is? What What do you think we do with him? I still believe in him. I still think that he has a really high ceiling. To be honest with you, I still love the pick. Um, I just think he's super raw still. And I'm not. Before I make this comparison, please, for the love of everything, I am not saying that this guy is going to turn in to Giannis. But just development-wise, it took a long time for Giannis to develop into the player he was. And I feel like Seiku has a lot of similarities build-wise and and rawness-wise and athletic-wise that Giannis did when he first came into the league. I'm not saying they're going to be the same style of player or anything like that. I'm just saying developmental-wise, that is a comparison that I can really understand and see. And... I think, I really think he can be something. I really think he can be a really good player in this league, like an all-star caliber player. I, I still fully believe that. And I would hate for us to get rid of him and then him turn into that with another team that has more patience for him. But as I talked about on Monday's show, my buddy John reached out to me, John Dolan, and he, uh, he pointed out that he's like the only person left on the team that's not a Weaver guy. That, you know, the or- the organization might not have the patience or the same evaluation of him that Stefanski did or that the fans do. The fans that still believe in him do. 
Um, there's nothing really we can really do about that. So I guess I, I've just been running in my head like it's it's just hard for me because I don't think any team is going to like like overpay for him based on what we've seen in his NBA career. You know what I mean? It's not like he can just be like, oh, you know, I'll give you like two first rounders for Seku because he's a he's an up and coming star. Like he hasn't looked great. And he's made strides. He's finally getting some minutes. He's he's made some good strides, especially defensively. He had a nice block the other night. But like as a whole, uh I, I think I don't see the value in, in getting – I don't think the price makes the value make sense to trade him currently. That's, I guess, what I'm saying. I hope that's English and that makes some remote sense. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on and, and a very intriguing storyline as this rebuild gets further and further and we become more and more, um, more, and more competitive in the Eastern Conference. Okay. Bada bada, bing bong, pow. I don't know what that was either. Uh, the Detroit Rocky Red Wings. The trade deadline is passed. As always, if you want full Red Wings analysis and breakdowns, go to Locked on Red Wings. Uh, I'm a co-host there. We have a lot of fun. And we do five episodes a week. We also have an interview coming out, uh, I believe, on Thursday with Igor Larionov. The second, uh, Igor, actually, oddly enough, Igor went to middle school with me. Igor and I went to middle school for three years. We literally, uh, he, he went to a different high school um, and we didn't go to the, you know, we didn't like grow up together by any means. Um, but yeah, we actually went to middle school together. Uh, so it was, it was a really weird full circle moment where like I have my gig and, and he's obviously playing professional hockey um, in the KHL currently and stuff. So like, he's a professional hockey player. I am a dude that is getting paid to talk about sports. Uh, it's, it's a weird full circle moment, right? When I kind of am, am <laughs> I'm interviewing a dude that is in my grade in middle school and that I went to school with growing up and now we're like reconnecting and, and interviewing, I'm interviewing him. Very funny. He's a, hilarious dude he always has been um really great interview like a, a ton of fun one of the most fun interviews we've done over there um and, and yeah he's he's a really cool guy um so check that out lockdown red wings we also do actual red wings talk and analysis i promise we have five episodes a week we, we literally do every business day we have an episode so i promise uh we have a good we have a good healthy balance between kind of fun stuff like that and an actual Red Wings analysis. So definitely, if you want your Red Wings fix, go over there. We have a lot of fun. Okay, the trade deadline has come and gone. Uh, and one trade to rule them all, one trade to bind them. Uh, that that was wild. It, it Not only was it just a wild trade, right? Like, obviously, we traded Anthony Mantha. For those who don't know, if you're living under a rock, the Detroit Red Wings traded Anthony Mantha to the Washington Capitals. It is... It is wild that not only did we trade him, we then, we, not we then, we the trade didn't come out until half an hour after the trade deadline. And we didn't make any other moves on deadline day. So, it was wild to me that 
that, <laughs> how do I even word this? It was just the ultimate, like, like, nuke, right? It was just like, okay, like the trade line come and went, came and went. We wanted to trade a ton of people. We traded no one. And now we're just like, well, shit. This is, this is not fun. This is not what, uh, what I signed up for. I wanted to make a lot of trades and stuff. And then sure enough, half an hour after the trade deadline, Hey, like you're probably second best player just got shipped. Unbelievable. I'm going to start. We did a lot of breakdown on the Mantha trade over at lockdown Red Wings. Um, we uh, we brought in the Lockdown Capitals uh, crew and and talked about the the trade from both sides, which was awesome. Um, so we we do a, a lot of full down breakdown, whatever uh, on that. You can go over and check that out. But but I wanted to talk about the first off, we we fleeced them. I, I think we fleeced them. I don't think there's any other way around it, to be honest with you. I, I think we got the better end of the deal. Um, I, I think we got... The fact that we got picks on top of that is nuts. You know? Anyway, I just can't get over how, how much we won the trade. And I do think Mantha will be a lot better over there. I do. And I think he could actually... Honestly, he could reach the ceiling that people have been thinking that he could reach for years here. I'm not saying that's out of the question at all. Um, that being said, I I don't think this will ever be a trade. This this will be a trade that Washington, if he works out over there, Caps fans will be like, okay, I'm actually pretty happy with this trade. I don't think this will ever be a trade that Red Wings fans will be like, oh, damn, like, uh, you know, three years from now, I kind of regret that trade. I don't, I don't think that'll ever happen for Wings fans. Um, I think we'll always kind of have the upper hand there. I want to talk about what didn't happen because I think it's also really important to talk about. Obviously, I've said it already a million times on Broken Record, Mantha shipped. Luke Lendenning is still on this team. Jonathan Bernier is still on this team. Bobby Ryan is still on this team. That being said, Bobby Ryan was because uh, he got hurt and and can't trade a hurt person. So uh, that one's a little more excusable. Um, it, it's it's the Mantha trade saved the deadline, in my opinion. I, I think the Mantha trade literally saved this trade deadline. I think a lot of people, I put a poll out on the Lockdown Red Wings Twitter account of uh, what would you grade this deadline, A, B, C, D, F. And most people said A, the second most popular was B, uh, and then like three people combined voted for C and D together. So like uh, not very many people unhappy with the trade deadline. Um, but a lot of people in their replies were like, at three o'clock, I was ready to put F. And I think that's totally fair. I think that is 100% fair. I think that this is a deadline that was saved by one trade. And we won the hell out of the trade. And 
I'm glad Steve Eiserman's my GM. But if that trade doesn't happen, I think this is a failure. Because we didn't move Glenn Denning. And we didn't move Bernier. We weren't able to move Bobby Ryan. Which, again, due to an injury. But still. I think that... I don't know. I, I think that this trade really saved the outlook of uh, the, the, the fan base's opinion of, of the deadline. I don't think that this would have been... I don't think it would have gone over very well. I would have been upset. I would have come on here and been upset with you, to be honest, if, we, if the Mantha trade didn't happen. And that's not to say I wanted Mantha gone. It's just that trade was so beneficial and so lopsided currently in our favor that it made up for not getting rid of Glenn Denning and Bernier and them. So I guess I just wanted to point that out. I, I think it's weird. And then they even asked about it. In the, in the press conference after the deadline. And he was like, and the Eisenman was like, look, man, honestly, we didn't really have any, any deals. He said he had one deal on the table for Bobby before he got hurt. One. And he was like, it was a pretty quiet deadline, to be honest. And, uh, <clears throat> and nobody, like we had some phone calls here and there, but like nothing even came close to fruition for anybody else. Now, that's probably part coach speak, but I don't really care. That that's that's interesting to me that some people some people out there thought we were getting a second round pick for Luke Lendenning. We got nothing. And I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. Because again, the Mantha trade made me very okay with with our deadline. I, I grade it like a B plus probably. I, I'm very content with our deadline. I'm very happy with it. And I think that because the Mantha trade happened, I'm okay, man. I'm chilling. I'm, I'm not, not upset about Glennie or, or Bernier being on this team. But the Mantha trade saved it. And like I said, that's okay. That's really okay. I, I Very much okay and, and happy with, with uh, how things ended up working out. Just an interesting thing that I, I wanted to bring up. Um, the Mantha trade in itself, look, the the people we got back, well, panics a salary dump. Sure, it'll be a depth piece. But the kid is nice. Kid's nice with it. Like I said, we taught we interviewed some some caps people on Lockdown Red Wings. Uh, if you want like a full breakdown of of the caps fans' opinions of our return, uh, the players we're getting back, that kind of stuff. But First and second round pick. First round this year, second round next year. Um, I It's, it's kind of like Stafford a little bit where it's like, okay, like I really want Stafford to do well with the Rams, but like if they sucked, our pick is better. But like I really want him to do well, so I'm not going to root against him, but if he does suck, it's like, okay, not a big deal, right? You, I ha- you got a roof for the Caps to lose in the first round, <laughs> right? Like, you have to. Like, I'm sorry. I, I, I love you, Ann. I love you, Big Tony. I always will. You're the man. But, like, man, I, I got a roof for you to lose in the first round, brother. I have to. If you lose in the first, we get a high 20s pick. If you go deep, we're going to get, like, 28 to 30. If you win the cup, we're going to get 32. I can't be having that, Tony. I can't. I can't be having that. 
You got you got to choke first round. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, but I got to have you lose in the first round, brother. I love you to death, but it's got to happen. All right. As always, Locked On Red Wings for more in-depth, awesome analysis with fun people. We have a good time over there. And we kind of know what we're talking about, so that's fun. Last one, the Detroit, what are we on? Football Lions. Uh, First things first, I'm the realist. No, I'm playing. First things first, um, more trades are coming out about the, the infamous Stafford scenario uh, as we get further and further removed from it. The Broncos trade package was announced. Now, I was notably down on the return and did not think we would get anything really good for Stafford. I thought we were going to get some mid-round picks because I just didn't see quarterbacks getting moved at the rate that they were this offseason. I was wrong, and I was an idiot. And I, I love to admit when I'm wrong, especially when it benefits the team. I was very happy to be wrong. I was wrong. It happens quite a lot. I'm sorry that for some reason you listen to this podcast about a dude who's wrong quite often. But it happens. I'll admit it. The thing that was wild to me at this Broncos trade, because they did offer a first-round pick. And I went on record saying I didn't think we'd get one. But I'm still right that, like, I'm still not stupid in this regard. Because we would, okay, the pick, the the offer was the Broncos give their first rounder, which is what, nine? Is that right? Yeah, nine. So we have seven. They give us nine. They give us nine. That's weird to say when talking about a Stafford trade. They give us 1.9. We give them Stafford and a second round pick. Now, that's absurd. And that's why my, 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 I mean, I was wrong. So like none of this really matters, but like, I don't feel as wrong about this one specifically because like they literally wanted Stafford to move back like 30 picks. That's, that's ridiculous. That's, we're not giving you a second round pick to get Matt Stafford. That's just simply not happening. I didn't think we'd get high picks. And none of the mock trades I drew up that I have us giving rid of draft picks. That is absolutely absurd. So, I just think it's funny. I just wanted to bring it up because I think it's hilarious of how horrible of a deal that is. In no way, shape, or form would that have ever been accepted. That was egregious. And like seven teams' offers that have come out were all significantly better. That was easily the worst offer to date. And it is hilarious to me. So I just wanted to bring it up just so we could all have a good chuckle together at, at the Broncos' expense. Okay, so a new Mel Kuyper mock just dropped. And we always break down Kuyper mocks. So here's the top 10. Okay, now pause when something weird happens. At 1, Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence. At 2, Jets, Zach Wilson. At 3, Niners, Mac Jones. Still not completely convinced that that's real, but that's two mocks in a row that he's had that happening. Three, Niners, Mac Jones. Four, Dolphins. A trade with the Falcons that has the Falcons picking six and the Finns picking four. 
There's some other stuff involved, but for this top 10 purposes, that's all you need to know. <clears throat> Dolphins taking Pitts at four. Five, Bengals take Sewell. Honestly, probably, probably safe. They're either going to take a tackler or a receiver, so that's fair. Six, now the Falcons. Uh, take Lance. So now the seventh pick is up. If you've been paying attention, there's a massive lack of a certain Big Ten quarterback that had a, a certain lack. What am I trying to say? There's a certain lack of a Big Ten quarterback up until this point. That is barely English. I haven't said Justin Fields' name yet, okay? I'll just I'll just say it. At seven, he has the Detroit Lions taking Jamar Chase, wide receiver, LSU. Eighth, the Panthers taking Devontae Smith, which now that they've traded uh, for what's-his-nuts, Darnold, they probably do go wide out, so good for them. At nine, the Broncos take Michael Parsons, first defender off the board. And at 10, the Patriots, via a trade with the Cowboys, take Justin Fields. <clears throat> I wanted to get everybody's, because I, if you are a, a loyal listener, which I appreciate so unbelievably much, if you are a loyal listener and have been listening for a while, you you would know <clears throat> that uh, at the beginning, at the beginning, that's not even what I'm trying to say. <laughs> at uh, for a while now, I have been saying that I don't think I don't want us to pass on Fields if he's there at seven. I've been saying that for a minute, probably since the inception of the show. The beginning of the show. There we go. I did mean to say beginning. Since the inception of this show, I, I think I've been pretty clear that I, I don't want us passing on fields if he is on the board at seven. But the inception of the show was in January, and this mock has changed a billion times since episode one of this show. I. It's tough. It's really hard. This this draft is super hard for me because I've been very vocal about the fact that we don't need to take a quarterback this year. Again, those who have been listening for a minute know that. I've I've been for a while now. I I've been talking about how you have golf for the next two years automatically, and then after that you can cut them for no cap hit. And if you don't even cut them, you have them for the next four years at a minimum. He's only twenty five. You can have them for the next two to four years. You don't need to take a QB this year. But it's really hard for me to justify passing on fields. It's really hard. I'm also a big Trey Lance guy. This mock doesn't have Lance falling to us, so that's not really a conversation for today. Um, that's really tough for me. I guess I just kind of want to get all of your guys' opinion on that, um, the, the pulse of the fan base on that. Because this is the first mock I've seen where Fields has has gotten past us. I've seen a couple where we've drafted him, and I've seen, obviously, millions where he has been taken before us. It's really weird to see a mock where Fields is taken after seven. 
It's really interesting to me. Um, I don't know. That's weird. And, and that's five quarterbacks in the top ten and four in the top six. Um, I think the first three picks are all going to be quarterbacks. We've talked, we talked about it on, on uh, Monday's show. I think that's a pretty safe bet. <clears throat> and if the Falcons don't make this hypothetical weird trade with the Dolphins, I think it's pretty safe to say the first four picks, honestly, are all quarterbacks, which is absurd. So, <clears throat> even if it is Fields, you are getting the fifth quarterback on the board at seventh overall. I'm a big value guy. That's why I was fine with the Okuda pick, just not at three. I'm a big person of positional value when it comes to NFL draft, which is my exact opposite take of the MLB draft, which is is just the craziness of those two different sports. I don't care about positional value at all in baseball. I want best player available. And the NFL, it's pretty much a complete 180 for me. I'm very big. In the first round, I guess. Later in the draft, you know, do whatever you want. Um, you know, rounds, day three of the draft, do whatever the hell you want. Just take the best player available. But the first three rounds, two rounds at least, I'm really big on positional value. And I very much understand that at the seventh overall pick in the draft, the fifth best quarterback or fifth available QB in the draft is horrid value. Like, like astronomically garbage value. But I really like Fields. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's tough. I'm sure we'll have plenty of more conversations from now until the draft, which is right around the corner now. I can't wait. I uh, can't wait to see what the Lions do. Can't, to see what, blah, 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 blah. can't wait to see what Holmes does. It's going to be awesome. Um, man. So, yeah, reach out to me, whatever. Uh, I just am super curious on, on people's opinions of the Lions, of Fields being there with the Lions pick and the Lions voluntarily passing on him. Super interesting to me. All right. That'll do it for another episode of the Bentley Show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm so glad to be back. Like I said, doing this is is a what I want to do, so I just find it fun. Uh, but also, it's it's opened a lot of doors for me, and it's opened quite a. I've made a lot of connections in the last since I've started doing this than I ever thought I would. Um, yeah, it's awesome. So thank you so much. Um, if you are a company that wants your ads read by yours truly, hit me up. Uh, I have plenty of ad reading experience over at Lockdown Red Wings. I'm a pro. I'm a seasoned vet. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. It really it means the world. Um, share this with people. Uh, who did I shout out? Obviously, shout out Lockdown Red Wings. Locked on Red Wings. Um, oh, John Dolan. Back Judge Podcast. Another elite podcast. Great guys over there. Um, and especially as we get closer to draft season, they, 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 uh, Best in the business. Best in the business, those guys. So be sure to listen to them. Um, yeah, man. I think that's it. Peace and love. Going to therapy's dope. Go to Sports Baby. Peace.